Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by the wonderful, the amazing Brianne Tucker. Oh my gosh, you went for the whole name there. The whole name. It's Joanne and Brianne. True story. I know, right? And not only is Joanne and Brianne, but we also have that lovely capital A in the middle of our name that nobody ever gets. Did you ever insist that people write your capital A in the middle of your name? Yes. Yes, of course. Me too. I'm like, that's my name. It's my name. That is my name. And then how many times did you have people go like, no, I don't want your middle name. And you're like, that's not my middle name. People still do that. (laughs) They break up the Joe and the Anne. Um, yeah. But then they'll spell my name, just the J-O-A-N-N, and use the lowercase. I'm like, um, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. I am I, missing my capital. I let it go by now. But it's all those little, like, things that you do that really appeal to your identity. And you're like, this is so important to me. Well, you know what? Honestly, that's why I go by Brie. Yeah. I got tired of having to tell people how to spell my name. Oh. And them spelling it incorrectly. So I was... Plus, also, you know this, my background's in early childhood. Yeah. Brienne was tough for, you know, kids yeah. with a speech impediment or a speech delay to say. So, you know, it cut, chopped down to Brie. And then for a while there, it was just B. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. It's funny, like the whole, the chronology of names, like how names change over time. Oh, yes. It's interesting. <laughs> it has nothing to do with our topic today, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> we here at the No Get Mom podcast, we like to keep things focused and streamlined for you. And we don't quite succeed. And but- squirrel, <laughs> squirrel. There it went. <laughs> there goes the squirrel. No, what we're talking about today is screen time. Oh my gosh. Which, it's We get this so many people at the, asking questions about it. And we got a really, really, really great expert for us on this oh one. Oh my gosh. Devorah Heitner is the author of ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in the Digital World. And her book on navigating privacy and reputation with kids and teens growing up in public will be out in 2023 with Penguin Random House. Dr. Heitner's work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and CNN Opinion. She has a PhD in media technology and society from Northwestern University and has taught at DePaul and Northwestern. She is delighted to be raising her own teenager and she lives with her family in Chicagoland. And during this interview, I could have gone on for hours just talking with her. And I was actually disappointed when I had to cut the interview because I, I just wanted to know more. So we hope that you enjoy our interview with Deborah Heitner. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. Welcome, Devorah, to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am such a big fan of your book, and I am so, so excited to have you here. So welcome. Thank you. We are really, really interested in getting into all things kids' screen time. I think that talking with other parents, it is something that I see mentioned the most often about kids being on screens. So uh, what, like, what have you seen in your practice and your work with parents? Like, what is this fear of screen time? Well, speaking to the name of your show, there's a lot of guilt involved for a lot of parents because we've been kind of fed this line that our kids shouldn't be on screens. 
And then three years ago, the world just like dumped all of our kids onto screens and, and did all kinds of other things to undermine our abilities to function. And so a lot of us feel, a lot of families I talk to feel guilty, feel like their kids have been way, way, way too much tech time, way too much time, you know, on various devices, and they feel really overwhelmed. And it's hard to sort of shift that back as this sort of becomes our new normal state. And the habits that shifted in, you know, remote school and lockdowns and stuff, some of them are still with us, even though most kids are back in schools. It's very, very tough. And parents were already kind of feeling like they had to be a little bit cagey about how much time their kids were spending on tech before all of this. And your pediatrician be like, how much time does your kids use screens? And people be like, I don't know, like 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. You're like, don't ask me that question. You're like, Look, yeah, I'm going to commit to a number right there. <laughs> I think most people feel like it's not something they can really talk about. And it's such a shame because it would be, it's really ideal for parents to talk about this with other parents as much as possible. And especially to use your sort of hive mind and your friends who maybe have kids a bit older than yours to be like, oh, about the next thing, or what do you wish you know before you got your kid an Xbox, or what do you wish you know knew before you got your kid a smartphone? And instead, everyone's trying to pretend that it's not a problem, <laughs> but secretly overwhelmed and having horrible power struggles at home. It's, it's that huge elephant just sitting there in the corner of the room. We just keep trying to throw stuff on top of it. Go away. And it's so hard because every parenting problem that comes up, at least what I've seen in Facebook groups, like they're like, oh, my kid is this way in the evening. And you'll see all the other moms come on and be like, well, how much screen time do they have? And you should just take it away because, and that doesn't help the guilt process either. No, it's true. It's very easy to sort of say that about someone else's kid. And I think we really need to nuance the term screen time and really look at what kids are doing with tech. We need to look at, are they spending time being creative? Are they connecting with friends and family? Are they doing things that may not be great, like looking at content that may be harmful or distressing, whether it's, you know, negative things on social media or disturbing videos and, you know, on YouTube or TikTok? Um, not so good threads on Reddit, or are they doing things that are more neutral, like maybe watching YouTube on baking, but maybe they don't need to be doing that three hours a day. Maybe they could be actually doing some baking some of the time, right? So a lot of what our kids are doing online, I would say is sort of neutral and it's more about balance. There are things that can be harmful and then there are things that are great. So obviously we want to support, you know, the positive things that they're doing online and then be more cautious or careful about avoiding the harmful things. And then with the sort of neutral stuff that may be okay in a certain, you know, but we don't want it to be their whole lives or we don't want it to be instead of sleeping and eating and doing homework and, you know, spending time exercising and other stuff is we need to look at those other areas of life and try to balance those. So it's, it's sometimes easier to make sure our kids have some other things to do and that they have some habits of enter self, including habits of self-entertainment, not like we have to plug them into an activity every second versus just trying to subtract screen time. So we do want to kind of like add other options, mm. you know, whether it's playing with Legos or, you know, board games or whether it's writing and reading or just relaxing or being outside as opposed to feeling like we have to count the minutes our kids are on tech. Yeah. And something else you said about them doing these other entertainment activities other than screen time. I think when parents hear like they should be playing with Legos, they should be like, coloring or doing art automatically a lot of moms internalize that and they're like oh my gosh i need to leave my kids in legos or i need to leave my kids in art and it's not that at all or you feel guilty because that's not because yeah. your kid is just not that's not their jam they're not really i mean we can find other ways for our kids to be creative but mm -hmm. the ones that people put out there you just you feel guilty that like oh, why doesn't my kid like this and you keep trying to shove it down their throat because you think that's what they're supposed to be doing 
Absolutely. And you don't need to help them play generally. Kids should be able to play independently. But I say that, I mean, I have a singleton and the last few years were harder. He was old enough that he really felt them not having siblings. And we were quite locked down for a long time here. And I think it was difficult. The first time he really was like, why don't I have siblings? Like in his whole life, like this kid got to be 10 and never really was too, you know, distressed about not having siblings. And then was like, oh, people are locked down in their house and I'm locked down and all I've got is you guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is a bummer. This is not good. And the cat, thank goodness. But, you know, this is not great. So I think looking at that, it, it. but siblings don't always play together perfectly either. Exactly. I mean, I, and I, I told him that. I was like, look, there's going to be a lot of kids by the, you know, the time lockdown is over, we'll be like, sell you their sibling at a low, low price. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, it's not that there's always this harmony. And, and tech is one of the places siblings do come together. Like sometimes you'll see siblings who don't get along being able to watch a show together or play Minecraft together. And I think that's an area where, again, when you look at the universe of your family, you might celebrate that. You might say, oh, wow, my seven and my 14 don't have a lot in common right now, but they can play Minecraft or they can watch this one show. Yeah, And that is a place where they come together. So that's maybe a place where I want to be more flexible on the tech. Um, But we also want to like remind kids how to play on their own and let them be bored. Let them also learn how to reach out to their friends again, because a lot of kids are rusty socially right now. And so they may need some practice. And that may include some parent scaffolding. I have certainly been like, nudging my 13 year old to text friends because he'll get to oh. the weekend and be like i'm so bored i'm so lonely right we're doing this over here too, and yes. i'm like well <laughs> you know how you could hang out with people is you could text them and make plans and he's like oh but i would have had to do that in advance right it's really hard i think for a lot of kids to see their sort you know if they're busy during the week to like for example envision the weekend and how they might like to have plans in the future i know um, my kid's not the only one who struggles with that oh I, yeah so i love that you mentioned that because i see that a lot in my teenager too and uh just seeing that it might not be the social skills so much as the inability to plan for the future at that age uh that brings me a lot of like <laughs> comfort as a parent because then I'm not worried so much that my child has like horrible horrible social skills and won't reach out to friends and be afraid to reach out for friends because that's what we're seeing okay I do think though that that brings up a good point that a lot of a a lot of these like teens early teens they they don't make plans you know know, you're not the only one sitting at home going like I have nothing to do I bet you six of your friends are too (laughs) it brings up a really interesting point um about what you mentioned earlier how siblings connect through technology too are our kids tend to now connect with their friends with technology. So how do you see that when it comes to parents kind of limiting technology use when it's the way they communicate with the outside world? I've been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs even on busy mornings. And oh my gosh, has it been busy lately. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day every day and it makes me feel energized even like i still add the coffee on there because i like it a lot ag1 tastes really good too and i enjoy my glass 
every single morning. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. That's drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. Check it out. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. What can really stress kids out, one thing that stresses kids out is that they worry that if they're not available in the sort of Roblox meetup or the group text or whatever, that people will be mad at them. And so it's helpful to give them language to give boundaries to their friends, including for younger kids to be able to sort of throw you under the bus as a parent and say, oh, my mean parents won't let me play Minecraft after 10 on a school night, or I can't be in the group text till I get my homework done or whatever. As kids get older, they're going to need to set their own boundaries and they won't want to use you as an excuse, but they will need to say things like still even in high school, like, oh, I need to get my beauty rest and just shut off their phones when they go to bed or whatever, and really give their friends that boundary so that they don't feel bad. Like telling the friends, I'm not going to be in the Minecraft group or in the group text actually relieves them then of feeling like, well, then everyone's going to wonder where I am and why I didn't stay or whatever. That actually cuts down on the amount of stress. Kids actually feel that sort of the same 24-7 access feel that we all have because we have email and we have mobile phones and we have these stupid watches now and all this jazz. Like it's so much work to be so accessible. Mm -hmm. Our kids are feeling that and we want to help them not feel it. We want to model putting our own phones away being not accessible all the time and knowing that other people can basically survive without us, right? Like unless you're an EMT on call or, you know, like driving that ambulance, like you should be able to unplug or you should have a system that's in place. Like, you know, if you're all taking care of an elderly parent with your siblings, like maybe somebody's on call on the weekends and you're on call during the week, but we all should be able to put our phones away and even go for a walk outside without them. But that feels like radical, even though everyone, at least in this three-way conversation, had a time in their life when that was normal reality. Right? I, how, did, how did we survive? How I really survive? miss that. And like you bring up a really interesting point about this stress about always being ex- accessible because when I asked the question, I wasn't even thinking about that and the stress that kids feel um, and more about the how how like we communicated, like we called our friends on the phone and we asked to like talk to be like, hey, is Brie there? <laughs> and like had to do that waiting and talked on the phone where now kids just communicate through devices. And so 
like and they're terrible at waiting and they're terrible oh, at oh waiting. my gosh yeah i've seen each other a million times when they don't reach each other so that's like we can i just posted about this on instagram like you know we really want to help kids not blow up somebody else's phone like really want to help them and and really want to help them with certain other like just little texting etiquette things that yeah. we might know from our phone experience one of the tricky things about raising kids in this time is that a lot of what we do online they don't really see they just see us thumbing it out but they don't actually see us signing off of conversations they don't see us deciding whether something's a call an email or a text or a social post and we're doing all of that in our heads but we're not spelling out like what is my criteria for deciding that i should really call someone to work this out versus email them or what is my like how do i say goodbye so i'm not just walking away from a back and forth and and when is a conversation casual enough that i can just not respond you know <laughs> like who's that okay to do yeah and kids have no clue so we need to start modeling for them our own use of tech and show them some stuff even though they're going to do it differently and have different abbreviations and all that we shouldn't try to like copy everything they do we also need to show them enough of what we do so they have some stuff that some knowledge and we we have to teach them how to make phone calls too even yes. though they're not going to call up their friends and say hey is Bree there like they do need to answer the, a call from a doctor they need to be able to tell their piano teacher they can't come this week like they need to be able to answer a call offering them a job or a scholarship uh -huh, right <laughs> the first call they ever get to be offering them a job and they're like my phone is vibrating i don't know what to do exactly oh my oh my gosh like you're bringing up so many things for me that i really haven't thought about when t talking with my daughter and seeing like how she interprets because you know one of the phrases about like text messages is she's like mom you can't leave them on red you can't leave them on red and I was thinking of that being like, oh, yes, of course I can leave them on red because it's just a conversation that I could walk away from right now and I'll just answer it when I can. But to her, it is so, so imperative that it's I like answer a, them back like right there because it's, it's rude. A, it's rude yeah. not to. And that's so much teaching. And I see how it goes along with what you suggest in your book, ScreenWise, which I loved about the mentoring versus the policing of the behavior and how much teaching is involved in the use of screens that we as parents just miss if we just set the time limitations on it. Absolutely. I think mentoring versus monitoring is so crucial because we're we also it's really easy to think that there's some tech solution like, oh, if I just get the screen time going on the iPhone or if I just buy this, you know, tech monitoring solution and you're free to do that. I mean, every family is different and your needs may be different. I have one kid and until very recently lived in a very small apartment with that one kid. So I found that living in a small apartment with one kid like there was no need for a technological monitoring solution. Um, I just didn't get him earbuds. And like, I pretty much always knew what was going on with his tech. I think if you live in a big space and you have five kids, you might want to like filter the internet. You might want to monitor, but you don't want to do that and believe that you're done. You don't want to be like, okay, good. I parented, I, I got the tech filter, you know, because they can walk down the street to the public library or go to a friend's house or get on your device when you're not using it and be outside of that range. So we have to talk to kids about pornography. We have to talk to kids about texting etiquette. We have to talk to kids about what to do if they get a message that's really upsetting or scary. And I think if we over rely on monitoring, also we're, we're like emotionally reliving middle school or whatever age we're monitoring. Tell me about that. Without actual knowledge, yeah. like you could read your kid's texts and still not understand the drama she's dealing with, but you'll be really stressed out. And what you need to be is actually really chill and be that like chill parent that she can talk to versus being the stressed out parent that read all the drama and is like, oh my God, you know? <laughs> it's like, what's going on? I've only had to do that once. My daughter shared like a really and brutal 
middle school text thing and i was I, I was just like that i was like trying hard not to cry myself i'm like this is just so much i can't believe it brings up all and the then she was like i've never shown school, you my text totally again right. mom forget it i'm not showing them to you again it's hard so we have <laughs> we have all this great information about like our opportunities that we have for teaching our kids about appropriate use of technology and texting let's put it into some really actionable strategies for parents, especially when starting the school year and figuring out what to do around screen time. So what is something parents can do before school starts or even if school started, like they can put in place right now? Well, one thing that's really important is pick your, your you know, have a plan and pick your most important battles and then like fight to win. So if your most important thing is sleep, and I would, I would argue that if you're going to pick one thing, like say you're feeling really overwhelmed and all the habits have gotten a little out of control in your house right now and there's a lot of devices and a lot of stuff. If I were gonna pick one battle, I would maybe go with sleep and say, you know, I don't really know exactly what my kids are doing on YouTube and I'm concerned about that or I don't know exactly who they're talking to, I'm concerned about that, but sleep is so crucial for their physical and mental health that I'm gonna unplug us all from like 11 you know, p.m. or 10 p.m. to like 7 a.m. And whether I do that at the router or just by taking the devices, that's gonna really be crucial. And then I'm gonna build that habit. We're gonna really talk about the benefits of sleep. With teenagers, that helps if other people in their lives, like their sports coaches or their drama coach or whoever they actually listen to that's not you also talks about sleep. The last group I was with before the pandemic like shut down a lot of my speaking travel, I was at this school in Portland, Oregon with these cute high school kids. And I was in the room with 11th and 12th graders and they're like very bright, very accomplished, hardworking. They're all sucking down this huge thing of coffee, every one of them. And I said, if there was something that was free and legal and made you smarter, better looking and in a better mood, would you want it? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, it's Smarter and better looking and more athletic and, you know, in a better mood, like all of those things. And they were like, oh, <laughs> like that is not as exciting. You can sort of sell that to your tween or your teen and really work on like you can game, but you can't game right up to bedtime, especially for younger kids. Like as kids get older, they may need to experience some of those things for themselves. But the younger your kids are, the more I would really work on like that, you know, bedtime routine, sleep routine. I mean, not that I would give it up for older kids, but I would just try to get them to self-regulate more around it. Mm -hmm. But for younger kids, I would definitely be externally regulating that as much as I could. Even watching a show as a family would be preferential to me versus like a a solo gaming or social media, which is more arousing Mm -hmm. for kids and literally just more exciting um, for them and more kind of stimulating for the brain. Whereas like, you know, sitting around and watching like one TV show before you hit the shower and go to bed might not be as much of a problem for most kids. So really looking at like what works in terms of sleep. So I guess my tip number one is have a plan and and really pick your battles and fight to win. You know, if you decide you're going to totally transform your kid's whole life on tech and they've got a lot of things going on, I think you're destined for a lot of power struggles mm-hmm. and fighting, yeah. and, you know, and, and them feeling really undermined and not trusted too. And what a lot of what they're doing on there might be fine. And again, if you're looking for a priority, sleep could be a good one. Sleep is such a necessary priority. And that's like a drum I beat hard in my house. It's really hard, though, because my husband does not believe in sleep for some reason. (laughs) Wait, does he not believe in it or he just doesn't need it? He, He like stays up until 12 or 1. And so with that 
example in the house, it's really hard to talk with my kids about sleep, but I talked to him about sleep and he agrees that the kids should be on a sleep schedule as well. But dealing with that when one parent isn't on board with the sleep issue and I it can am, be hard and I know like the repercussions of sleep and I'm the person who becomes like a sobbing mess. If I don't have enough sleep, you're normal. And <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, but yeah, sleep, sleep, sleep. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. What else can parents do? So another thing that's really important is to have something that you all enjoy that you do that is an unplugged activity, you know, and maybe that's not the same thing as it was three years ago. So if you're looking like, do we go back to X or Y, maybe it's something else. And a lot of us, I think in the last three years, maybe reduced activities. Like maybe your kid was in nine extracurriculars before the pandemic, or you were driving three kids to three sports each. And now you're like, yeah, we just do soccer. Which is great. I think, I think that's great. great. Cut some stuff. That would be great. And rather than look for something like that, that's like an external commitment. Is there something else? Is there, you know, geocaching or like a hobby, you know, like, like, you know, even just like walking to different places to get ice cream this summer for us was really fun or trying different flavors at our, our local place, right? Or re if you have gotten out of the habit of the library, you know, going back to the library or going to a different branch or a library in another town might have reciprocal privileges. That can be some novelty. A lot of us are looking for novelty and we look to Netflix, YouTube, TikTok for that, or we look to the new video game for that. And because maybe we're not traveling and trying new restaurants as much as we were a few years ago. And so trying to find some unplugged novelty as a family and a shared activity, it could be a board game. You know, for us, there's definitely a lot of Catan going on and a lot of other board games. We also went to some gaming stores recently and tried new games as a family and they let you try them in the store, which was really great because we didn't have to like buy them and then have them sit at home if they were like a bomb. Oh, that's cool. fun. There's, a, there's yeah. a restaurant near us that just opened that I'm dying to try out because they have board games like all the board games and so you just get a board game and then you order your food and you 
play together and it's in Tempe. Okay. And, and I'm <laughs> like, I do not know what you're talking but about. <laughs> I love this because what you're talking about is really simple joys, simple joys that we really haven't been able to experience throughout the pandemic because we weren't able to leave our houses. And I think that many of us have forgotten that they exist. A hundred percent. And looking with our kids at their interests too, to find those things like it probably, you know, it might not be that your kid wants to go see, you know, um, you know, the new Rembrandt show, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but maybe they want to see like in, in my town, there's a new Nick Cave show at the art museum. So maybe that would be really cool. So helping them even look at like, hey, how do we read the newspaper to find out what's going on? That might be mm -hmm. fun. How do we look for something to do? Because again, you know, it's not like, like we, we want the internet to be a portal to our world. So looking for something to do and then doing it or, you know, watching YouTube baking channel and then baking versus just watching YouTube channel on baking and then watching more YouTube yeah. on baking or looking, you know, looking at the internet and then looking more at the internet, which is so much of what tech wants us to do. But if we use it as a portal to like, get somewhere. <laughs> Beat tech at their own game. Yes. <laughs> like... Exactly, exactly. And yeah, being a little bit more busy with some unplugged activities can help that balance in a different way than just fighting about minutes on time. But online. sometimes like tech and the algorithm, they do win. And families, the best of routines, it can totally get off track. So what what can you, families do if they do get off track with their tech use and they find they're using a lot more tech time the, yeah. they want to that plan just did not end it up went out the window yeah. yeah i mean i have like a seven day reset that i can that's like my little freebie on my website that i give people and there's a lot of suggestions in there but some of them include some of the things we were just talking about as well as just really picking very specific things you want to change again instead of trying to change your whole plan is there one thing you're fighting about are you always fighting about homework time like what would work like actually maybe your kid can do a zoom with friends while he's doing his homework and that actually works for some kids the social aspect of getting certain kinds of work done as long as it stays within the limit of academic honesty is like a good thing so i think really looking at like one area that you want to change and having a sense of humor about your own tech habits and asking your kids if they're you know, if, like in my family, we have a sort of a safe word about tech where like any, where anyone is allowed to call somebody a tech monster in my family. And that really helps because our kid can be like, um, mom, like you're kind of being the tech monster. Like you're the <laughs> one who sat down to watch TV and I see you on your phone. And I thought we weren't double screening in this house. Oh, and I, was I like, like that. Double screening. So, that happens a lot in my double house. Double screening. Have you heard of the term yeah. fubbing? P-H-U-B-B. Mm -mm. It comes with the book Indistractable, but it's phone snubbing mm -hmm. when you like ignore someone because you're on your phone. Oh. Oh, I love it. Yeah. That's a word I taught Girl yeah. Scouts when we were doing a Girl Scout troop. And I'm like, are you fubbing? Like, <laughs> yeah. We started using it. Yeah. And it, it, it's nice because kids like saying things like, are you fubbing with yeah, me? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I never thought of it in that way. Yeah, that's true. Well, this has been such an amazing conversation and you've given me a lot to think about and some action strategies I'm going to take in my home, especially like I love the homework idea about doing like a Zoom session with friends. I yeah. hadn't thought of that before and the social aspect would be very, very cool. So thank you so, so much for joining us and uh, we'll talk to you really soon. Thank you. I love the name of your show. I think the less guilt we feel about screen time, the more we can talk about it openly with our parent friends and our kids. And that's a win. Definitely. Thank you. Screen time is a really loaded topic. And I hope this conversation really helped you bring into focus what you can concentrate on as a parent. Well, and a huge thing that screen time brings into is all that guilt like she talked about. And we talk about all the time. There is so much guilt especially to moms about how much screen time our kids have. And it's about time we start chucking that guilt out the window because 
this uh, this whole screen time and technology, it is a part of our lives going forward and it's only going to get bigger. So again, it's all about how you use it. And it's mm-hmm. it's an ongoing thing. It grows, it changes, and that's fine. Yeah. And it's sometimes one of, it's one of those issues, like first can I say, the American Pediatric Society isn't giving moms any love lately. And I think that <laughs> it is really like, <laughs> and I say that because, I mean, you heard their breastfeeding recommendations recently, right? I don't think so. Oh my gosh. They just changed it to say that kids should be breastfed up to two years old. Oh, good Lord. And you're like, um, excuse me. Hello, life. Don't need a child attached to my chest for two years. And it's <laughs> and that and that is the point. Like it is fine if you can't do that. It is fine. It is not the end of the world. And we carry all this guilt because we carry right? all of this guilt. So screen time is one of those things. <sighs> so when your pediatrician tells you, oh, your child should be on screens for only 60 minutes and it's your job as a parent to take them away. Mm, no, there is so much more that goes into it than that. And that's why I love Dr. Heitner's approach because she's all about the mentoring. Yes. Okay. No, I have to say this about the doctor. Okay. Go for it. When, you go, go. when you go for the well check and the doctor does ask you how much screen time do you let your kid watch? I would just be like, I, uh, I'm pleading the fifth on that. Pleading the, your much. doctor asks you that? At the, yeah, at the younger well checks, they oh, do. Sometimes Under I find, five. sometimes I find, and this is not all doctors. And this is actually proof that I need to go and find a different doctor for my children. But like I brought a problem in about anxiety and like, I'm very prone to anxiety and I see the symptoms in my kids as well. Um, but I, I talked to the doctor about it and the t- doctor turns around and talks to my kid. Well, you know, those worries just aren't a big deal and you just shouldn't be worried. And I'm like, that does not help. <laughs> no, no, that doesn't help. So just know <laughs> that, that not, not everyone's on the same page. And especially if there's like guilt and shame attached to it, I'm learning to always question that. I'm like, do I feel guilty or ashamed that this information is being given to me or that I'm being asked this question? And if I'm, I am being guilty and ashamed, like, why is that? Is that something in me or is that that just not an unreal, not a realistic expectation of myself right now? And so with that thought in mind, we are taking away the guilt and shame of screen time for you. And Mm -hmm. we really, really hope that this episode helped. And trust me, we are definitely going to do everything we can to have uh, Devorah back on because this was a phenomenal. And again, we could have kept going on for for a very long time in that conversation. So until next time, remember, the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.